We're in Galatians chapter 5 this morning. We have been looking at uh, this sermon series that's in Galatians entitled Freedom. Freedom was on trial in the Galatian church. They wanted so badly to be saved, they came up with their own rules, their own laws. Agitators came along and made them fear, caused them to fear. And so we have talked a lot about some of those Old Testament laws throughout this study. Today we're really going to focus in on freedom and what that truly, truly means. So let's read uh, this this, uh, first 12 verses of chapter 5, and then we'll talk through uh, some of these points. Paul writes, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now mark my words, I tell you, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who let himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus... There is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision have any value at all. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? This kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross have been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Let's pray. Fathers, we read uh, these very difficult words by Paul. We ask that uh, your spirit will teach us in the same way that you taught that Galatian church so many years ago. We pray that our church and that our hearts and that our spirit will be aligned with your truth Pray that your Holy Spirit will just move right now as we study. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul gets very specific, does he not, about the issue that's facing the Galatian church. The agitators, the legalistic false teachers, are trying to force Gentiles to undergo circumcision. Now, Paul is standing up for the Gentiles by, as he says in verse 6, saying that circumcision has no value. And in verse 12, Paul declares that the agitators should just go their whole way and emasculate themselves. Now, this form of 
we'll call it sacred castration. It would have been known to the Galatian churches of that time. It's a practice among many of the pagan priests in that Asia Minor area. And so Paul is comparing, hear what he's saying. He is comparing salvation through circumcision with the practice of sacred castration of the pagan priests. I wish I was a fly on the wall when these Jewish agitators heard this letter being read in the church. They would have been furious. How do you call the children of Abraham pagan priests? Now, in these very harsh and direct words, we also could see that Paul used some metaphors that are very helpful for us in understanding what freedom in Christ truly means. This morning, we're going to take a look at the yoke of slavery. We're going to take a look at the running the race. And we're going to take a look at the yeast that works through the dough. And I hope this morning we can have a better understanding of freedom versus the kind of legalism and, and yoke, uh, cutting in on ye- and the yeast. I, I hope we have a better understanding of what it means to be free. So if you want to start by writing in your notes this morning that the yoke, it warns us about the standard that no one could measure up to. The yoke represents a standard that no one can measure up to. These folks have been enslaved by the law. Now, take for a moment to look at this picture of of a yoke so we all have a, a good understanding of just how difficult that looked like. I hope I put the picture in there, Dirk. If I didn't, we're just going to go home. All right, come on. You guys are dismissed. Oh, it's up there. Good. Whew. All right. This is a picture of a yoke uh, connected to two oxen. Uh, Now, the yoke in the old days, right? This uh, uh, Dale probably grew up using yokes before electricity and and powered machines and things. But (laughs) it was important for farming, right? Now, I've never used a yoke and a pair of oxen. I've used a gas tiller, okay? And that thing beat me up because the land was hard. I can't imagine being beaten up on my shoulders if I was a human being trying to pull a till through thick dirt. I was exhausted holding the powered tiller. A person trying to pull the weight of a yoke and a till would have also been exhausted. And that's the idea that Paul is trying to drive home to the Galatians. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The law exhausted them because they could never measure up. And I think about using that till and how that ground was so hard and so difficult to break through. It was exhausting. I felt like it was never going to end. 
And I knew after I was even done, I was going to have to do it again the following year. Don't let yourself be burdened in that way. Now, Paul isn't the only one who spoke about this concept of the burden of the law being like a yoke. Jesus did as well. He warned against those who would burden others with the law in Matthew chapter 23. So Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you got to be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, Jesus says, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on other people's shoulders, but instead being the ones that bear the weight, they are like the one who's standing behind the oxen, right? They're not willing to lift one finger to help them move. Jesus and Paul are trying to drive home that the law can be heavy like a burden, heavy like a yoke. One evening, as the sun was setting, there was a wolf who was walking on a hill, and he saw his shadow down in the plain. The image it observed was large, and it was exaggerated. Evening shadows tend to do that. But the wolf was super impressed. He stopped and he looked at his exaggerated image, impressed with such a large view of himself. He wondered, why have I always thought of myself poorly? You know, I, I'm going to decide today that I'm no longer going to be afraid of the lion who was not so big. While he was harboring the great image of himself, he failed to run away from the approaching lion and he was caught. The story goes that as he struggled for his life and the fangs of the lion, he realized that it was the exaggerated sense of self that caused his demise. And here's my warning for Cornerstone this morning. Don't work so hard to be saved that you grow impressed by yourself. I think that's what had happened with these agitators and certainly the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They worked so hard for salvation and they had such a high view of themselves they didn't realize that sin had its grip on them. Jesus Christ has set us all free from the law so that we are not saved by works but by grace. All right, let's look at the second metaphor. The race warns us about a shame when we lose the race. Paul says, who cut in on you? Well, what happens when someone cuts in on you as you're running a race, right? You lose. You certainly don't win. I'll let you see the picture of runners running so that you have an idea of what he had in mind. Um, you can probably see me in this picture. See the guy in the orange shirt? I'm way in the back. Yeah, that's right. That's not me. Certainly not. How many of us in our younger years challenged our friends to a race? 
I watch my boys challenge each other all the time. And I can tell you for a fact that my boys care very much about the race being fair. Right? There must be no obstacle in front of them. They both have to run the exact same distance. No one gets a head start. Every once in a while, though, somebody trips up. And I always feel bad, you know, because they tripped up and they could have maybe won the race. When I was younger, right, when I was younger, I remember the shame of losing a race. It was actually football. I was playing football with buddies at the park. Now, as you can tell, I'm not much of an athlete, but I like to have fun and I like to uh, play football. And I remember that I had this amazing shot at scoring a touchdown off of a kickoff. And I don't know if it was their blocking. It certainly wasn't my amazing ability. Maybe I was just so small they couldn't see me coming. But I found an opening along the sideline, and so I went running. I passed all the kids. I was free. I was clear. I could see the touchdown in front of me. But one of the kids who was watching the game stuck his foot out and tripped me. And I landed square in my face right into the mud. I mean, I cried foul, of course, but everybody was laughing so hard that they just counted me down. The kid robbed me of a touchdown. He robbed me of that glory of spiking the ball, right? And I sat there with mud on my face. Paul writes, who cut in on you? And the Greek here actually gives the picture of someone placing an obstacle in front of the runner. Do you see the picture that Paul is painting? They were running this great race. They could see the end zone ahead of them. It was clear in sight, and someone came along and tripped them up. And now these Galatians, they sit there in shame with mud on their face. Paul puts it this way, they'd fallen away from grace. Compare that shame with how the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrew puts it in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, right? And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. My warning for Cornerstone this morning is don't lose sight of Jesus. He's the one that paid the price. The law is the obstacle. If you try to be saved by the law, you're going to fall on your face. You're going to have mud on your face. You're going to be full of shame. All right, so the final, the final metaphor is yeast. And that warns us that legalism starts very small, but it affects everything. Legalism starts very small, but it affects everything. It doesn't take much yeast to work through a batch of dough. Take another look at a picture here. 
of yeast being put into dough. Yeast is that secret that makes bread rise. When added to a lump of bread dough, the yeast ferments the starches in the dough and causes that dough to increase in size. Without yeast to leaven the dough, the loaf becomes flat. Remarkably, it takes little yeast to make dough rise. A small amount is sufficient to leaven dough thoroughly. Yeast is like that sin of legalism, that that circumcision was the issue in their day. Legalism is here, and it can it can grow. Let's think about it in practical terms, and we can understand how it grew in their day. Let's start with a simple law. Thou shalt not murder. Can I get an amen? But what does that mean? It's simple. But what does it mean? Somebody breaks into my home, and I protect my family, and I murder. Is that a sin? What if you're in the armed forces? You have to shoot the enemy. Is that sin? Defining God's laws is what got Israel in trouble. Did you know that there are 39 different categories of laws completely related to the Sabbath? Where we shouldn't work on one day, that was all God said about it. There are 39 categories of laws that these folks had come up on. And the reason many of the laws were created were so that the religious elite could puff themselves up and show themselves as superior. But here's the truth. You can dress a VW bug up all you want, but at the end of the day, it's still a bug. Take a look at this picture. The 1970s, Bradley Automotive sold a fiberglass body kit that perfectly fit onto a VW bug. The body was very modern in style and design, It was even super pretty yellow. Some people like yellow. But at the end of the day, it's just a VW bug. The yeast got working through the dough. And they had added all these laws. They had made up all these rules. And then Jesus comes along and by grace makes everyone clean. But what about the Gentiles? They weren't circumcised. Some of them ate foods that weren't kosher. What do we do with them? And God's message to the first century world was that they are free. They're saved by grace. They don't have to follow all your rules that you've made up. They are saved by grace. This morning, I appreciate that Megan gave us a chance to confess our sins during our time of praise and worship. And while we were doing that, maybe you felt burdened by a standard that you know you can't live up to. Maybe this morning you feel embarrassed or shamed Because you know you're not measuring up. Has legalism caused you to pick and choose what is right and wrong? 
Listen, Paul is saying, throw it away. That sin is washed in the blood of the Lamb. This morning I wanted to do a very simple communion song. It's just going to be Megan and I up here singing. And I want you to think about that sin that you confessed earlier. Think about letting it go. Think about releasing it to God. Because as you take that bread and as you take from the cup, what you're really doing is acknowledging that God has set you free. You've been set free because of the sacrifice of God. And when you let go of that sin, what you're really doing is letting God in. I hate it when people say, my sin is, that ain't your sin. That ain't your sin. You're not controlled by that sin. God has set you free Let it go and let God change you. Let it go. Acknowledge the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, and let God transform you this morning. Will you pray with me, please? Father God, I know that sin can be so shaming I know personally that sin afflicts us every day. And yet there you are, God, every day coming to the table and just washing us clean again. Thank you for that grace. Help us not only to not take it for granted, but to allow, to surrender our lives to you, to allow you to transform us into people of love. As we take communion this morning, I pray that you'll fill our hearts with the joy that is found in freedom from sin. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.